This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined today from Portland, Oregon, by Stephanie Wahab. Welcome, Stephanie. Thank you. Thank you for having me. How has your bubble life been? (laughs) Oh, that... I don't even know how to answer that question. Um, I guess the short version is that it has probably been as good as it could be, given all the things, the pandemic, the Trump presidency, the racial uprising, all those things. How about yours? Well, we're pretty much back to normal, except that we've got a closed border. So it's kind of a, it's, it's a strange, we really do feel as though we're now, the whole country is working inside this bubble, but it could so easily pop. Mm. Mm. Well, every time I get news from my friends in Dunedin or New Zealand, I feel a pang of nostalgia and joy for all of you and a little bit of envy and jealousy for all of us over here (laughs) so have you been locked down have you have you had a period of of being at home yes um so march uh i guess 16th really was um beginning of lockdown um everything shut down people in their homes except for uh essential workers and um the state Oregon that I live in, we have um, like a phased uh, attempt at returning back to normal, whatever that means or looks like. And um, it's done by county. Um, Our county is in phase one. Um, So many, uh, many, many businesses are still closed and um, schools uh, for the most part, will remain closed. So kids uh, in the next month or so will return to online. Same with the university where I work. Um, so um, national mini parks are still closed. There's a lot that is still closed, but it's not the full lockdown like we were um, for March, April, May. So the, the kids are on school holiday now? Yes, the, the kids are on school holiday uh, for the summer, and um, everyone has been on pins and needles, uh, anticipating, wondering what was going to happen. And um, just last week, uh, our school district said that they will be at least um, through, I think, the beginning of November, um, they'll be online, or they're calling it distant learning. Um so that's been interesting trying to navigate and under you know figure out how to do school because um the initial lockdown and distance or remote learning for kids uh, at least in our school district was beyond abysmal it was a joke um so nobody really knows what it'll be like in the fall the school district says so it will be better but who knows did it really mean that you were doing it yourself well, not not my, not in not in my home. Um, so I have a fourteen and twelve year old, and um, 
they are fairly independent um, and uh, we were not doing homeschooling at the time. They were, you know, they had a about an hour, hour and a half of work to do every day. <laughs> a lot of it was just busy work because they weren't doing um, synchronous teaching. Um, somehow that I think the teachers union, uh, part of their contract was that they weren't going to be obligated to do synchronous uh, teaching. So it was, it was not great, but no, we did not do homeschooling. We've considered uh, some version of that, or I don't know if you all have heard of the pods, learning pods. Um, that's something that's uh, in the news and many, many people, families are talking about, but um, I'm not sure what we're gonna do at this point. I'm trying to figure it out. And have you been working from home? Yes, I've been working from home, um, much like uh, many of my colleagues across the country and around the world. We all had about a week or so to uh, to pivot to Zoom teaching. And uh, so we finished the term. Actually, we started and finished a full term in the spring um, from home and uh, teaching on Zoom from home. And my partner is a, a family practice doctor, and um, he works uh, from home part of the week as well, doing telemedicine. Um, his clinic, uh, in an attempt to reduce exposure and how many people they have in the building, um, limit how many providers are actually in the building every week. So some days are from home and some days are in the clinic. Let's take the first of your music choices. Let's have Mazador come with me. Why this one? A Palestinian young artist. And um, I um, am celebrating, enjoying, and just basking in the song and beauty of my people, even though I'm so far away. <laughs>
you allowed to get out and get some exercise? Yes, that's how I've been maintaining my sanity, to be honest. <laughs> um, that's one of the things, even in the lockdown, um, people were allowed to go outside and exercise as long as you can uh, maintain six feet distance. Um, and it was quite cold uh, when we went into lockdown. So outdoor swimming uh, in the lakes and the rivers wasn't quite an option until mm, maybe late May, early June. Um, and so I've been back in swimming, just mostly, well, only open water. So rivers, lakes and coves, um, and, and the waters are warm enough now that we don't need wetsuits anymore. We managed but to the, do. The, we managed to do seventy-four k's in in oh. lockdown in lockdown three. That was when we were allowed to get back into the into the harbour. They put a ban on on swimming because they didn't want us to do oh. anything that we might have to get rescued from. <laughs> okay. So, so we weren't allowed to swim during lockdown four, but in lockdown three, uh, Steve Sexton mostly and I swam every day in the harbour. That was fantastic. Wetsuits? Wetsuits or no wetsuits? Yes, wetsuits. Either I, I was swimming without a wetsuit before the lockdown and then afterwards it mm. was it had gotten cold. Um, the, mm. the last day we swam, because the pool opened, um, the water temperature was 8 degrees Celsius and the, it was a frost that morning. Ooh, uh, and we just, we just decided at that point that it was probably not a thing that we needed to do all winter. Right, the polar swimmers. Yeah. Have you noticed? I'm, cu I'm curious, now that you're back in the pool, uh, did all of that open water swimming um, kind of change your stroke in any way? Was it hard to get back in the pool after being outdoors? Uh, no, I am swimming much stronger than everybody that didn't swim um, mm. in the harbour. The, mm. the being out of the water for the six or seven weeks, it has taken people a long time to get back from that. Mm. Um, I, change, I, I I read a thing about changing my stroke at this, about the same over lockdown. And so I was concentrating on actively changing my stroke. So, yes, oh. my stroke has changed, but it might not be because of that. Okay. <laughs> are you getting to go away on holiday or you said the national parks um, are closed? Some, many are closed. A few have started opening. We are actually going on a backpacking trip with our boys uh, in two weeks in the uh, Olympic Mountains in Washington, which is the state just to the north of us. And um, we will do that. And then we spent a week um, on the coast. So we we're about an hour and a half or so from the Oregon coast. And we rented a friend's house and we surfed for a week um, in the beginning, or actually it was mid-July, and that was quite, quite wonderful. So some vacations, but somewhat local and all outdoors in nature, because that is what feeds us in this moment. I feel very, very fortunate. I Being outdoors, being in the ocean, the rivers, the lakes, going on hikes and bike rides and walks in the parks and the mountains near us feels like it has saved me personally. I think it's been helpful to my whole family, but um, that has been a tremendous source of um, nurturing for our little bubble, for sure. You've spent time in New Zealand and you're keeping an eye in, in this direction. So far, yeah. at least, we've been successful. What do you think? Mm. What do you think we've done right? Or, or why do you think we've managed to pull it off so far? Oh, I have so many thoughts about that. Well, leadership, for one, you have had and continue to have such uh, clear, um, empathic, <laughs> thoughtful, intelligent, and strong leadership that has um, united the country um, as it did when I was back there in 2019 um, during March, March 15th. Um, so I think your leadership um, matters. I think that um, people in New Zealand have a much more, um, I guess I'll say just 
collective or care for the community uh, attitude than many in the United States. Um, and I really think that this uh, individual rights, you can't tell me what to do, uh, very, um, I'll just say white settler American mentality um, is killing us quite literally. Um, so I think that that's another reason. Um, and also as part of the leadership, I mean, as I'm sure you've all seen, um, the pandemic COVID-19 is and the response and how to deal with it has been so, so politicized to a point where it's, it's just, it's, it's hard for me to digest and, and um, just appreciate how, how just insane um, some, what I would say some people's reactions to the pandemic are and wearing masks and, you know, doing what is needed to keep an entire community safe. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's quite frustrating and, and obviously very difficult to be in the middle of this in that way. So uh, I think those are significant differences between New Zealand and the United States. The last thing I'll say is <laughs> I think, um, uh, I'm, I don't know how to say this. I, I wish I had a better way to, a strengths perspective way to say this, especially, you know, as we were talking about unconditional positive regard earlier, but um, I think doing what is needed to contain the virus at this time requires discipline and it requires being uncomfortable and grit. And I think, here's my strengths perspective twist on it. <laughs> I think people in New Zealand, <laughs> I think people in New Zealand have oodles and oodles more grit than I'll just say many uh, Americans. It's the messaging that you're getting about it, it, about the pandemic and how we should be responding. Is is that solely playing to the individual, or are they trying the the collective? You know, you're not doing this. To, is, is it a be safe for yourself, or is it a be safe mm. for you know? Um, yes. For a while I, I, in the for a while in the UK, they had a you doing this for your nan. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, and they, I think um, I think it depends. I I really think it depends on where you are, and um, in some ways the the response to the pandemic in the United States is quite subjective, um, depending on your state, which which of the states you live in, um, and then we could I think parse some of that out even more in terms of the political parties. Um, I think that there are some states, for instance, where I live in Oregon, where I'm very thankful, and I think many people are, that we have a governor who um, understood the urgency of acting quickly, acted very fast, locked down very quickly, and the messaging was very much for the collective, um, not just about um, you know, taking care of your grandparents, but really this is what we have to do to take care of our community. Um, you might be fine, your kids might be fine, um, and you may be, you know, unknowingly spreading it to um, other people who won't be fine. So in Oregon, there's been, um, I think a much more collectivist public health, if you will, driven messaging. Um, but I know that that's not the case uh, in in all the states, obviously, as we've seen. I mean, some some states, we, our governor has, re, you know, masks are required um, in most um, situations, even outdoors now, if you're not going to be able to keep six feet apart. And, you know, there are some states where that, you know, they don't have mask requirements still. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokunui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mihi aroha nui, kia koutou ko tāhohau. I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars in your beloved universes, and I really hope that whatever is happening around you 
and wherever you are, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very nurturing, very fulfilling, and is illuminating for you more and more each day who you are, a triumph of nature's art, perfect, unique, and here making things better. Well, I'm sharing my five minutes today from my sick bed because I'm actually not very well. And this is very unusual. So, of course, I'm finding it quite hard in some ways. So I thought this would be a good thing to talk about. And for the last few days, I've just felt very exhausted. And uh, I finally have surrendered to this exhaustion. And... I'm now resting and I'm getting a blood test and everything like that so I'll figure out what's going on. Harvey Penfold has made me a lot of steak which I've just eaten so this is his prescription for all medical ailments so hopefully that will help and I've got lots of iron pills and various things. But of course I have been packing a lot in, as I'm sure we all have, and finding this balance and re-entering consensus reality, having moved through these very different ways of being as a dream team of 5 million from lockdown level 4, level 3, level 2, and now here we are back in level 1. Of course a lot has changed for us. And accelerating back into that very busy work life and creative life, I think, has really taken it out of me. So, of course, for some of us, including myself, it's very hard to rest. And I've talked with you before about, you know, the study in the Netherlands where they're saying you have to consciously schedule your downtime and really enjoy it so that you're making the most of your rest and your relaxation and I think this is a really good learning for me that I haven't been doing that enough and so I've just crashed really and so what does this tell me well it's an opportunity for me to really tune in back again with my miraculous body and converse with my miraculous body and really tune in again to my beautiful mansion and I'm actually enjoying the process of experiencing my body at rest because it's been a while and really listening to all the sounds and looking out the window, all that sort of thing. And of course, traditionally these periods of convalescence are an opportunity for metamorphosis, the time in the chrysalis. So I'm thinking about that as well. What do I want to take forward once I emerge? What do I want to leave behind? And I really know that I want to do my best with my work and my creative life and my relationships and my business. So resting and recuperating is very, very important for that. So I hope that for you, you're taking the opportunity to rest and recharge yourself so you're not crashing completely exhausted like me. And I hope that this time that we've re-emerged back into, we can be a bit more aware of the reality of our energy levels as human animals, that it's unrealistic to continue to work very hard all the time. And in the same way, it's unrealistic to feel great all the time. There will be periods of lower energy. It's unrealistic to feel happy and joyful all the time. There will be periods of working through things and feeling sad and feeling despairing and of course active hope is important with this that it's an opportunity for us to apply practical measures so that we feel better and we are putting things into practice so that we make things better. So I hope that for you, you're finding the right balance and I'll look forward to talking to you tomorrow. Thanks so much. Kakiti. You're talking about the variation across the country and Portland is having 
is a hot spot of the the racial uprising that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So we've not only had the pandemic, obviously, but we've also had quite a bit of attention recently um, because of the racial uprising. I think we're on day number sixty-six now of protests in the streets uh, following George Floyd's murder. And um, what in part, you know, brought so much attention to Portland was Trump sending in federal troops to, in his word, you know, quell the rioting um, and the protests, um, which, you know, is so complicated and in some ways I think transparent to so many people on the ground um, that his sending in the troops was really more about his re-election campaign and um, not because there was violence or chaos in the streets. I mean, I've seen some of the the news. Um, actually, it'd be interesting to hear what you saw about Portland, but um, I've been, you know, my family has participated in a number of the protests, both in the beginning and even just recently. And um, you know, I can tell you for a fact that um, protests have almost entirely been very, very uh, peaceful um, until the feds came. Um, but I'm curious what what has been the image of Portland that you all have seen? Um, well, has it been can... that the streets are on fire and burning or? Um, no, we <laughs> just different. keep seeing the, 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 the unmarked vans, the, I don't know how it's yeah. being described, but the, the, Mm. who did it turn out to be the border police or the border control people yes. or whatever it is but doing it sort of yeah. essentially as, as a sort of secret police whisking people yeah. away that's that's getting a lot of airtime um mm. and mm-hmm. I've, I've you know the, the keep portland weird that just seems weird but in the wrong way <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i think many people feel like um you know, Trump sent the troops in in order to agitate and create more violence. I mean, the troops have been gone now. Our, our governor uh, negotiated a, you know, a, a ceasefire, really, is what they called it, with the government <laughs> um, last week, which is just unbelievable to hear myself say those words. Um, I negotiated a, you know, ceasefire where they were going to um, eventually leave the city. They've not left yet. They are they are holding back to see what has happened, but they've turned over kind of the policing, if you will, of the protests at night to the, uh, the state troopers. But ever since they've left, um, it's been quiet. There's been no fires. There's been no vandalism. Um, and I think that suggests to so many of us, right, that the rioters were really the the feds, not the the, the peaceful protesters who are engaged in the Black Lives Matter. Um, why do you think the organizing. two things? Why do you think the two things—the pandemic and the racial uprising, the Black Lives Matter—have coincided? We've had some people talk about mm. how the pandemic has revealed social inequity. Mm. Mm. Well, I mean, it's revealed it perhaps to some people, right? Not to Black folks yeah. <laughs> and people who. Um, you know, who are, who've been consistently, you know, oppressed, racialized, murdered um, at the hands of police for quite a long time. But I think, I mean, my observation, um, I've been really interested in the the wall of moms um, and kind of what's been happening there, but it's been interesting to, to witness what I, what I will call like a racial awakening, if you will, and a lot of white you know, comfortable, middle, upper class, um, and the cis women in particular, but the, the city in many regards. And yes, absolutely. Um, we know here in the United States that the pandemic has uh, disproportionately impact communities of color, low-income folks. And um, I... I in, you know, some people refer to what's happening in the United States as two pandemics. 
Um, I'm not sure that I would call, um, you know, the the response, the racial uprising around police brutality, a pandemic only because um, of the history, right, of the phenomenon. It's not something that has just kind of emerged as the pandemic did, but it's been quite institutionalized and sustained um, experience and reality um, for racialized folks, for Black folks in particular. And um, the pandemic, COVID-19, and the murder, the killing of innocent Black people by police, um, you know, have have intertwined and are intersecting um, in a number uh, of different ways. Um, I mean, I was kind of going off the subject here a little bit, but I was just reflecting on, you know, the decisions that my family have been trying to make around COVID, um, especially since we have a, an essential worker, kind of a frontline worker in our household. How do we keep you know, ourselves, but then those around us, you know, our community safe, what decisions do we make about pods and expanding and social distancing and activities and all that. And then the Black Lives Matter resistance and uprising happened. And it's been, it's interesting to reflect on um, just also how, I guess, willing some of us in my family, how we've, how willing we've been to go put ourselves in groups with 5,000 other people amidst the pandemic. Um, so I, I think I veered off from your question a little bit. I think you're asking a little bit about the intersections of, of these two um, experiences. But yes, I agree with you that in some ways, you know, the intersections of the uprising, the pandemic certainly reveal social inequalities but i think it's important to point you know shed light on who it's revealing to mm -hmm. um because it's not news to many folks so of all the changes we've seen at a societal level over the last few months mm. what do you think will stick and what do you hope will stick mm. oh such a good question I, you know i can only speak to my bubble and i'll speak to my bubble as portland in particular not not even my entire state. Um, but what I what I hope will stick, what I think will stick, is a a desire and a movement to um, at least defund um, and reform uh, policing. For example, I mean, already um, cuts have been made, uh, financial cuts have been made to the police budget here in Portland. Um, there are commissions, there are um, stated intentions from the governor around um, policy change um, across a number of institutions, not just law enforcement. Um, I, I choose, you know, I, I teach about hope and I think about hope a lot. And I think hope is a choice. And I am choosing to be hopeful that something is different this time around. Um, certainly when we look at the numbers, right, of people who are maybe coming to consciousness, who are willing to go out in the streets, you know, put their bodies on the line, whether it's in the protests or in the organizing, uh, people who, who weren't involved before, I think, are involved now, and that is different, and that does matter. Um, so I am hopeful. Uh, I am hopeful that there currently is will. There's a will now to make changes in a way that there wasn't that kind of individual and social, maybe even political will to make change. There's, cer there's certainly going to be challenges for future politicians who say they can't do stuff because people mm, are going to be able yes. to point to 2020 and say, look, you did it to yes. varying, to varying extenses, but extents, but, but, but in, in 2020, there was this pandemic and you did shut the economy down. You could make that, that choice. 
not only did you shut the economy down, you released people from prison. You, you put money in the hands of individual people, right, to support them through the pandemic, which raises interesting questions, I think, about just kind of general, you know, uh, income for people. Uh, I think um, there's now maybe more people who are thinking more about health care and um, health care for all. And absolutely, I think you're right. Um, I mean, when I think when I think of just my small bubble of the university and that an entire university pivoted to Zoom teaching in a week, it, it just blows my mind. And I'm sure you also have an appreciation, right? Universities tend to move quite slowly. There's a lot of hand wringing and negotiating and resistance and you can't tell us what to do kind of stuff almost overnight everyone switched everything in terms of how they do their work that gives me hope that massive change is possible when there is the will and in, i guess the need um and i do feel like um while the need for racial justice in particular, there are certainly other, so many other needs has been, is not new, has been around for so long. There's something about the urgency and the crisis of this moment. I think that has propelled us into a certain of possibility that feels within reach. How do you think we can transfer the lessons from this for those bigger questions, the climate change, the social justice? intergenerational mm, problems mm. where there isn't that urgency mm. well it's interesting i mean i think some people would argue right that there is that urgency with the climate change is just people may not appreciate you know that urgency. Mm -hmm. see it's not kind of in their face or maybe this is what you're pointing to is people's daily kind of uh routines for example are not necessarily threatened every day by climate change but I don't know. I mean, that's, I think I would need to give that some more thought. I think that's such a great question. Um, I've been thinking a lot about just how do I make meaning? How do we make meaning of this, of, of what's happening? It's so, um, I, I find myself not flustered, but just, um, like now, <laughs> at a loss for words when I try and synthesize all the things right, that are happening. And I feel like we are still in such a survival moment. And um, I'm so curious to read the final report. And I, I feel quite limited in my abilities to, to make meaning um, about what's happening. Um, and I, I guess I'll just say, I'll keep giving it some thought. I'm not sure how to translate it. I mean, to, to be honest, I think about it a lot, try and think about it a lot for my children, my boys, right? How do I, how do we use this moment to, how do we make the best of this moment? Not just, not just to survive, but to learn, to learn something about themselves, about our family, about their community, about the planet. And, um, it's really more of a day-to-day -day thing, I think, for us rather than big lessons. I wish I had something something useful or rich to offer you, Sam. Uh <laughs> I think what you just said is very useful and very rich. Let's take Michael Kiwanuka, Cold Little Heart. Yes. Okay.
I have some questions to end the show with. Okay. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? <laughs> I would say surviving 1,386 days of the Trump presidency so far. That is success. And then more recent success, uh, pandemic related, is that um, both of my boys, the younger one in particular, um, are cooking regularly in our household. So we not, not only have two cooks, but when I when we were planning our meals for the week, I am consulting with all three of my pod mates in the house. And that's been fantastic. That does sound fantastic. I hope that the counting of the Trump presidency does actually end. It, <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds like he's setting up to, to dispute the election results you know yeah i don't know i mean maybe on some level he actually thinks he can do that but it just oh i don't know my first my first response is that's just a joke everyone thinks it's a joke even right even his colleagues have said he can't do that but then when i start thinking that way i'm reminded um uh i'm reminded of uh the election in 2016 and just how convinced I and most people I know were that there was absolutely no way he could be elected. And, you know, that was a powerful lesson to feel like, oh, gosh, so underestimated what could happen. Talking about powerful lessons, we're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's mm. our team of people doing good work. So you're mm. on our team, you're in our mansion. What is the superpower that has got you there? Oh, I'm not sure. Um, I joke, um, but I feel like it's kind of true with my family that my superpower is, um, I guess, empathy. Just being able to um, kind of reach for uh, understanding about what other people are kind of feeling or experiencing. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? Yes. What are you activist about? Well, I've been an activist and uh, very engaged in uh, anti-violence movements for a few decades, particularly around gender-based violence. Um, but I've been active kind of recently um, on our campus 
uh, around disarming campus security um, since 2014. And so, yeah. What motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Hmm. I enjoy life. I, I, um, I feel like um, my family in particular, we are, we've got a lot of privilege and um, I think we're very fortunate to be navigating um, this pandemic in a fairly comfortable way. We have our jobs and we've remained healthy. And um, I think it's, it's kind of a, we have a mandate, this kind of moral mandate to just keep putting one foot in front of the other and, and be engaged um, in our community um, in a way that's, you know, productive. Um, so that motivates me, kind of joy of living and a, and a, and a sense of a, just a value of caring about my community and the world around me. I'm glad that you took the the sensible answer to that one because I I know that what actually gets you out of bed in the morning is the alarm telling you it's time to go swimming. <laughs> so swimming, <laughs> right? It's true. I don't get up as early as I used to to get to the pool, but I but we're in the river probably by six fifteen, six thirty on most days. Yep. <laughs> what a challenge are you looking forward to in the next couple of years? Um, just, I guess, continuing to support my, my kids, um, to be, um, healthy, um, but also, uh, contributing kind of good members in society, right? So helping them navigate just the teenage years and teenage years, right? Amidst this pandemic, um, there's a lot, there's a lot to, to, to worry about. And um, even in the face of all the comforts, right, that just want to help them stay healthy, but learn whatever good lessons are in this for them. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? <laughs> I don't actually, I don't believe in advice. Um, I don't believe in advice. Um, I, I don't. I mean, you know, when I was in New Zealand last 2019, I went to one of my favorite spots, Tunnel Beach, and I had just a, a beautiful moment of just kind of reflection and meditation when I was down there by myself and watching the, the waves roll in. And I was just struck with this this sense of, of a trip for me anyways, um, about waves and how, um, just the metaphor of, of waves and being hit by all kinds of waves in our lives. Sometimes these big tsunami waves, sometimes these smaller waves and kind of the key to, to getting through it all is just to, to, to roll with them, to let those waves roll over you, no matter how big or small they are. And, and, um, that's the advice I'm trying to give myself in this moment is to just try and roll with these waves. And some weeks feels like a tsunami and other weeks, it's just a little ripple. Thank you very much for that. Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you for having me, Sam. It was nice to talk to you. I miss, uh, I miss Dunedin. I miss New Zealand. I miss the university. I think about you, all of you, often. That's right. Lots of people this morning said to say hello. Mm, thank you. Let's go out to Bon Iver with Skinny Love.
positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. Find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. I'm Samuel Ann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, with Stephanie Wahab in Portland, Oregon. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.